This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Well, having seen off Juventus in the quarter-finals, it was to be an all-English semi-final in the Champions League in 2005 as Liverpool stood just one step from a first European Cup final in 20 years. This is the road to Istanbul from Blood Red. I'm Guy Clark and welcome along. So having lost the League Cup final in February down in Cardiff in extra time to Jose Mourinho's Chelsea, Rafael Benitez's Reds were to face the runaway Premier League champions-to-be for a place in the Istanbul final. Joining us to look back on the first leg at Stamford Bridge is a man who has been with us every step of the way. That's our very own Dan Kay. Dan, how are you? I'm all right, thanks, Guy. Not too bad at all. Um, excited that uh, this long road that we've been on since September, really, is now reaching the, uh, the, the, the business end. And it just gets better and better from here on in, really. Yeah, the time has, has absolutely flown past. When we started this idea and we were talking in the office of, of doing it, you're thinking of getting to the back end of this campaign, stars in your eyes and what it was all sort of sort of going to be. It has been a, a great ride that we've been on. And of course, last time we were together on a pod, we had the, the one and only Clive Tilsley with us as well. Well, that was, that was a, a big thrill for me, someone that had grown up listening to Clive's commentaries on Radio City on Liverpool and Everton as a kid and um, you know it was, it was a, an incredible occasion when Liverpool came up against Juventus at the quarterfinals and I think as we said at the time I kind of thought well we've done well to get this far anything beyond there is a bonus but Liverpool deservedly knocked out the Italian champions over two games and found ourselves 180 minutes away from the unthinkable prospect of a European Cup final in Istanbul but Lying in our, you know, standing in our path were an all-conquering Chelsea side who, um, you know, in their first season under Jose Mourinho, having kind of, you know, they, it wasn't the Chelsea I grew up. The first, first season I was watching football, Chelsea had only just been promoted back to the first division in '84, and I remember them going down again in '88. Uh, and you know, then they had Hullet and Viali, but they still kind of flattered to deceive a little bit. But as we were saying just before we come on air, once Jose Mourinho took charge, you could tell there was no messing, and and you know. They started that season strongly, never really took the foot off the pedal. We're always looking likely to win the league. And, you know, I, I, can't, I don't know what the bookies' odds were, but they must have been huge favourites going into this tie. And rightly so, but Liverpool in Europe is uh, always good at uh, throwing a throwing a, a curveball into the, into, into the mix. And that's exactly what happened. Yes, yeah, certainly. Just looking sort of domestically, as you, as you said about Chelsea, they'd won that first piece of silverware, the League Cup final against Liverpool, of course, in extra time down at the Millennium Stadium. But they were 11 points clear of second-placed Arsenal with just four games to go. So for all intents and purposes, they were about to be crowned champions, I think for the first time in 49, 50 years, in fact, in their club history to take the league title. And they were on the verge of doing that and having only conceded 13 goals in their 34 league matches. As you say, it, it was an all-conquering side that Jose Mourinho was building. Absolutely. And, you know, and they did clinch the title in the weekend in between the first and second legs. They went to Bolton and won 2-0 with two goals from Frank Lampard. So this is, this is you know, Liverpool were facing an enormous challenge you know, to, to get past Chelsea, you know, to score a goal uh, against them. We'd, we'd, we'd lost both league games 1-0. The, the second game at Anfield, quite unluckily, really, because uh, we played quite on New Year's Day, played quite well and should have had a penalty. Chelsea scored a deflected goal near the end. But then, obviously, you know, what, six weeks or so before this, the first leg of the semi-final had been the League Cup final in Cardiff. 
And again, Liverpool had competed well, scored a goal this time, had led for 75-odd minutes before Steven Gerrard's unfortunate own goal. And um, and Chelsea went on to win it in extra time. So it, I wouldn't have said there was a feeling of trepidation. I, I think if, if Liverpool, maybe if Liverpool had beaten a lesser team in the quarters, that might have been more of a thing. But I think the fact that we'd beaten Juventus just made you start to think, if we'd beaten Juventus, we could beat anyone. Also, as well, I think the fact that the second leg was at Anfield. Now, you know, fifteen years ago, you know, fifteen years later, obviously Liverpool's modern European history is littered with great Anfield nights. In two thousand and five, there hadn't been so many, but four years before, uh, in the build-up to winning the, the the UEFA Cup in the treble year, there'd been a similar, very stiff test in the semi-final with Barcelona, and and in, in actual fact, almost an identical way things panned out: a, a goalless draw away from home. And a one 0 win at Anfield, so I think that there was there, there was some belief that if we can at least just keep ourselves in the tie, and you know obviously ideally try get an away goal, then maybe yeah, maybe Anfield could do something a bit special. But um, I suppose the knowledge that Chelsea almost had the league in the bag meant that you felt that well it's not like they're going to be resting players for the weekend. They can they can they can give it full throttle because there's no one going to take this league off them. So it was it was it was an intriguing prospect going into it because. Yeah, you know, it was Liverpool's first semi-final in, in the European Cup for twenty years, and um, yeah, you know, as I say, having beaten Juventus, you just thought most people outside the city, most people outside our fan base, probably aren't giving us a prayer. But this is Liverpool. We're on this amazing ride under Rafa Benitez in his first season, so let's give it a go and see what happens. And strange how things are so pan out as well for Liverpool in Europe that year because through the course of the group stage there I think it had only been well there'd been three clean sheets but away from home there'd only been uh, one of them for Liverpool the 1-0 away win against Deportivo La Coruña of course mm. the, the 2-3-1s against Bayer Leverkusen home and away but I suppose that 0-0 draw the second leg against Juventus sort of set the blueprint for how Liverpool were going to approach a game like this, make sure they were solid defensively first and foremost, and as you say, try and grab an away goal should the opportunity present itself. Well, absolutely. You know, I think that's a very good point you make about the second leg in Turin because <clears throat> as thrilled as we all were with you know to beat Juventus at home in the first leg 2-1, the knowledge that they only needed to win 1-0 at home in the second leg still, felt, still meant that you felt Liverpool were really up against it. But to go to you know Juventus boasting the likes of Del Piero, Ibrahimovic, you know top top players that they had, and really to go you know, apart from the odd little moment here and there to to negotiate the ninety minutes without too many scares, and and also remembering Liverpool were missing a few. I think Steven Gerrard didn't play that night. Uh, I think it was like Alonso Alonso's first game back after his broken leg. You know it was it was far from an elite Liverpool side. There was you know, a, gra- a gradual realisation that this Liverpool team could be very, very obdurate and very hard to break down. And, 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 it, and it suited us, I think, in many ways, having that first leg away from home. We didn't have to go chasing it. Obviously, we did, we'd have our ears and eyes open for an away goal if it was on the cards. But I think the crucial thing was <clears throat> keep it tight, don't give them anything, and just stay in the game, just stay in the tie. And then once you're back on home soil, you're hoping that the cop and, you know, the... Uh, that special something that Anfield provides could could um, could give us the edge. And I suppose at this stage as well, we spoke with uh, Ian Doyle about it on the last episode when we looked into that nil-nil with Juventus. But the final ten games of the the season before 
uh, Milan in the in the Champions League final after that 2-1 win over Juventus of those 10 games Liverpool only won three of them away at Portsmouth in the league the final day of the season at home to Aston Villa both of those 2-1 the Chelsea second leg of course would be a 1-0 win but it was almost as though Liverpool I think going into this game were four points behind Everton with with only three or four games left to play. Everton had four, Liverpool had three, and Liverpool were four points behind Everton. It was almost as though you were beginning to get the feeling, certainly after that defeat at Crystal Palace, that the league campaign was being parked, and now it was all about the Champions League. Yeah, I mean, just just before the Aventus ties, uh, in late March, we'd beaten Everton at Anfield 2-1. And that, you know, that kind of closed the gap a bit and, and, and gave a sense of hope that they could claw the Blues back and maybe get fourth. But, um, as you say, I think the, I think the Juventus ties took a, lot, took a lot out of them, physically and, you know, and, and emotionally and mentally, and the intensity that, that goes into those kind of games. And I think, I think the real killer was, um, was, that, was that game at Palace. They, they, we'd drawn it home to Tottenham after Juventus, which was, you know, Tottenham weren't having much of a season, and it's a game we probably really should have won. And when they went the midweek game at Portsmouth, and when they won and won two one down on the south coast, I think there was still that little bit of hope there. Crystal Palace were uh, battling relegation. Did they go down that year? I think I think they might have done. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but and uh, Andy Johnson shortly before he, he signed for Everton, he scored the only goal, and it it just felt that it was possibly going to be a bridge too far. And I think it, it more maybe more through necessity than invention that. There was the realization gradually taking hold that if Liverpool were going to play in the in the Champions League the following season, then we might have to go and win the competition, which still seemed a little bit like pie in the sky. But at the same time, there was a little seed in your doubt, a little seed in your mind, saying, "Well, this is Liverpool. You know, we we tend not to do things the the conventional the conventional route. It would be just like us to go and finish fifth and win the tournament, and then put it on your wafer's toes to give them a decision to make." But um, yeah, they, they were, I, I think they were, it was just it was just an exciting time because you know at the start of the season we were just made up to be in the Champions League, and you know I, I remember saying when we did the Olympiakos uh, version uh, episode of this at Christmas time, you know from my from my point of view, once we got to the knockouts, I kind of thought, well, we've done all right this season. You know what I mean? If we can finish top four, we've made the, the knockouts. I'll take that for a first season under a new manager. But then once we got past Leverkusen, particularly once you got past Juventus, you started to think, well, we're in the semi-finals. You know what I mean? Once you're in the last four of any competition, you've got to be looking to win it. Um, but it, there was, you know, but, but Chelsea, it's hard to, you know, overstate just how impressive Chelsea were that season. Not they were, they were playing this, you know, fantastic free-flowing football, which, let's be honest, would never be a particular trace of the Jose Mourinho anyway. But they just turned into a bit of a winning machine. And even if uh, you know, we caused them a few problems at Anfield in the league and at Cardiff in the League Cup, you know, they were a much better team. I think they finished, what, 33, 35 points ahead of Liverpool at the end of the season. But that's the beauty of cup football, isn't it? You know, it doesn't matter you know, what the, the form book says beforehand. It's who turns upon the day or the, or the two legs, if it's a European match, who gets the breaks. And yeah, this, there's no getting away from it. Liverpool did get the breaks, you know, as much as they will. And obviously we'll get into this next week for the second leg. We did get the breaks. But at the same time, you know, no one will ever convince me that we didn't deserve to go through overall. Just because of the sheer force of will. You know what I mean? It, it, it takes a lot of moral courage, I think, to kind of operate in those circumstances, to play your best, knowing that you're up against better players, better opposition. 
but to put that out of your mind and to take the game on its merits. And, and that's what Liverpool did over the two legs and, you know, and, and they deserve credit for that. Yeah, looking at the league table, 31 points was the gap in the league when the sides met for the first leg. Actually, looking at the end of the season, Dan, if my maths is right, it was a 37-point gap between Liverpool, who obviously finished in fifth, and, and Chelsea, the uh, the league champions. But also with Mourinho and certainly Liverpool, you got that feeling this was really when that rivalry was beginning to brew. I think certainly off the back of that League Cup final when Mourinho shushed uh, the Liverpool fans and was really sort of getting into it all. And that he was sort of in his element at, at that time. This was, of course, when the British press absolutely adored Jose Mourinho, a far cry from where we are these days. But as well with this Chelsea team, they were always, when you think of Mourinho in that first year, you think of Makaleli and Thiago in the midfield, Lampard having licence to roam with Robin and Duff wide of Didier Drogba. But for Liverpool, he always seemed to have a plan up his sleeve, playing Kesman in the League Cup final. In this game, Kesman comes off the bench, but he starts with that diamond that he'd actually had such success with at, at Porto and that had taken him to, of course, the Champions League final the year before. Don't forget, coming into this game, Mourinho had won the UEFA Cup, the Champions League, and was looking actually to go three years in a row of winning the top two European competitions. Well, exactly, and he would have been following in some great fo- some great footsteps, or should I say, slipper steps? Because I think the only other manager to have done that is Bob Paisley with the UEFA Cup for us in '76 and then the European Cup in '77 and '78. So yeah, he was he was a, he was you know the self style special one. But there's no getting away from it, you know. In those early couple of years, even if he was very brash and very arrogant, obviously there was. We all knew that there was a chance of him possibly coming to Liverpool that summer of 2004, and Benitez could have gone the other way. And I actually wrote a piece on it earlier this week, on the anniversary of the FA Cup semi the following year about you know those kind of sliding doors, how different things might have been. <clears throat> but he, he was absolutely at the peak of his powers then, Mourinho, and it, I always kind of drew a parallel really between that era, Mourinho, and. The modern era, you know, the Mourinho of the last couple of years, the Mourinho that we saw at Manchester United and, you know, and currently at Tottenham, where I don't think his, his, his general modus operandi has changed drastically. You know, he is, he's a pragmatic manager who will always do what he feels is necessary for his team to win. But the thing that always struck me, particularly in, in recent times about his time at United, was that everything seems so joyless. Everything seems so miserable. Whereas even if at, at this time at Chelsea, right, he wasn't playing... It wasn't free-flowing attacking football. He wasn't going to batter every team 5-0 every week. But he seemed to buy into it, what he was doing, and all his players seemed to, in a way that hasn't really seemed to be the case since then. Now you could argue that the game's evolved since then. The, you know, the, the arrival of more progressive managers, possibly, like Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola, with more belief in, in expansive progressive footballers, has, has changed the landscape and, and, and you can make a case to say that yeah, Mourinho's kind of really failed to reinvent himself again. But at this stage, he has, you know, whatever the, whatever the scenario was put in front of him, he was very good at finding a tactical solution around it, even if it involved... Was it the, pre, was it the quarterfinals or the last 16 against Bayern Munich when he, um, he, he, he'd said something and, and it got like a ban, a touchline ban, hadn't he? And didn't he hide inside a... A, um, a laundry basket or something so he could get in there yeah, and it was... did the team talk, which was a bit naughty, but at the same time, you kind of thought, he's a case him, isn't he? And, if, you know, obviously, the shushing thing in the League Cup, in many ways, he very much went against the grain with us. But there was a kind of part of, there was a kind of grudging respect there, I think, which maybe kind of eroded a bit over time. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 
obviously it was the last 16 they played away at Barcelona in the new Camp and he had an to do with the referee Anders Frisk, who I believe right, yeah. obviously then retired due to the uh, the abuse he ended up having, yeah, having come yeah. his way. It was an awful sort of state of affairs, but that was Mourinho. That was the power he engendered that he could create that collective. I think John Terry's actually been speaking about it this week in how it was a siege mentality even within the club that he would mm. create these conflicts that the squad would just rally together. He'd go out in front of the press smiling and being charming. I remember, I think it was it would have only been a year or so later when there was a bird flu pandemic, obviously not to the extent that we've had with the current situation we're in, but Jose Mourinho saying he was more worried about bird flu than he was Manchester United in the title race. And it was these lines <laughs> he was throwing away and feeding to journalists that had people just sitting with... He he had them in the palm of, palm of his hands. And yeah. it, it was it was really, I think, when Jurgen Klopp came along and he re, sort of invigorated that idea with a manager being bubbly and bright with the press, which Jurgen Klopp isn't always, but he is a lot of the time. And that goes a long way to having that perception that your side are actually one that people and the neutrals can get on board with and quite like because the manager's quite affable, whereas Mourinho now has gone sort of the, the complete other way, I suppose. Yeah, and I think even even though I don't think anyone could even try to compare, you know, Klopp's teams with even the early Mourinho teams, which obviously were very successful. But I do think that the public bought into Mourinho a little bit more earlier on because he had that little bit of a cheeky glint in his eye. He had that kind of sense of his, you know, a slight sense of his own ridiculousness. But he did, but he obviously took it seriously and people bought into it. And, I, I, you know, I don't know what, what happened to change that down. He obviously had a second spell at Chelsea. There was that running with the with the female physio, wasn't it? And I, I guess when you when when you're successful, when you set the bar as high as what he did, and you're so consistently successful, I suppose it's like a drug, isn't it? And you've got to keep pushing it higher and higher to get the same kind of hit. And um, you know, there's no getting away from it. He he did give a lot to the English game, and there is a part of me, I suppose, that would like to see him kind of get his mojo back a little bit and have that little bit of a cheeky grin on his face, whereas. They just seem to be, you know, it's in the last four or five years, just more of a kind of nastier, more cynical edge to him. And listen, he was always kind of, you know, quite cynical in, in his general setup. But it, it just, the, the, the phrase I always come, I come back to is joyless. You know, you, you watch Manchester United when he was there and it was, you know, you could, the players weren't enjoying it, the manager weren't enjoying it. And at the end of the day, football is about enjoyment now. And, and I think the, this current era under Jurgen Klopp is proof of that. All right, it, it has started to result in trophies and obviously that's important but I remember us saying many times on the on the road to Madrid last year it's about the journey as well and I think at this stage Chelsea and Mourinho were very much enjoying their journey in the same way that Liverpool were under Rafa and obviously expectations were different because obviously Chelsea didn't just have Mourinho and what you know at the time arguably the best manager in Europe best manager in the world but obviously enormous money as well so they could buy the top players they could buy everything they wanted whereas Rafa didn't have that which I suppose you, know, you talk about Mourinho's siege mentality. I suppose that gave that gave Liverpool a certain kind of edge to it as well. Not that we were not it was not quite like a Robin Hood type scenario. We Liverpool were complete paupers, but they were not operating in the same financial stratosphere at Chelsea uh, as Chelsea. So to be able to compete with them, you know, at the top table of European football, uh, you know, you do get the feeling that you certainly amongst the supporters in the ground and maybe even in the dressing room, Rafa was saying to them, "Well, you know." We shouldn't really have a chance against these, but we do. And you know, that, 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 it's, it's that same principle of siege mentality that let's show them. You know, they, they, no one's given us a prayer here, but 
we've got something about us and, and we can maybe surprise a few people. And, and you know, that's very much what Liverpool did because I'm sure most people thought, however much respect Liverpool have got for, for beating Juventus over two legs, that Chelsea would at least be able to get themselves something to take to Anfield. And um, and they weren't able to, although you know, they, they, you know, they, they very much should have done because they had not many chances, but one, one chance in particular for Frank Lampard quite early in the first half. That feels very much like a real key moment in the match. Uh, Liverpool had started quite well. Uh, I think John Arnarisa had had an early chance that was blocked, and then Czech, Peter Czech made a very, very good save from the kind of flick header from, from Milan Barros. <coughs> this, this was all first half, but the big moment in the in the in the first leg, and arguably in the whole tie, was round about the twenty twenty five minute mark in the first half when Chelsea on the attack. I think a ball comes from right to left. It's headed back across, and Frank Lampard. Eight to ten yards out, free shot really, centre of the goal, and he blasted over in front of the the the, the away Liverpool supporters in the old shed and at Stamford Bridge. It's hard not to feel that if Chelsea hadn't got their noses in front at that stage that early in the tie, things might have been very different. But they didn't, and you know, and the longer the game went on at nil nil as the game wore into the second half, you could obviously sense Chelsea's frustration growing. That you know. They would have, I'm sure all their supporters would have been expecting, well, we want at least one or two nil to take to Anfield. And we've had this ourselves when we're at home in the first leg and you, know, you do feel your anxiety starting to rise and kind of like, well, right, we've got a clean sheet, which is important. And you know, there's some people who say nil nil is a great result at home in, in a two-legged tie, and as, as Liverpool proved at Bayern Munich last year. But I think in this particular scenario where to all intents and purposes, Chelsea were the better side, but they had to go on and prove it. And the longer that the scoreline didn't show that, I think the more Liverpool's confidence grew. Yeah, mentioned the the way in which Mourinho changed the shape to to that diamond. That obviously with a, a key emphasis to try and get Lampard forward. But just looking at the two 11, seven of Chelsea's eleven, of course, had joined the club during the uh, well the Russian Revolution, as of course it was called, since Roman Abramovich had, had joined in the summer of two thousand and three. You've you've only got John Terry, Frank Lampard, William Gallison, Idiger Johnson, who were at the club prior to the arrival of Mr. Abramovich. And then you've got all of those star-studded names that had come in. Of course, Carvalho and Thiago had been guys who... Uh, actually, I'm not sure if Thiago had come from uh, Porto or Benfica, but Carvalho certainly had been a guy who'd gone all the way to the final with Jose Mourinho. And Liverpool had this system that really sort of became somewhat of a niche that they used in Europe in how Jimmy Traore would start at left-back with Risa left midfield, but when the pressure came on, Risa could just push back and Traore almost slotting across like somewhat of a, a mix, yeah, mix between a, a centre-half yeah. and a left-back and it just sort of solidified what Liverpool had defensively. And Luis Garcia, of course, trying to offer the support off of Milan Barros, who having Gibraltar Cisse coming on later on in games, but Cisse obviously having got that broken leg at, at Blackburn, a lot was then left on the shoulders of Barros, who perhaps didn't get the goals that the run through this season perhaps merit that we talk about him. But I suppose his contribution does somewhat go under the radar. It does. It does very much so. And, you know, it, it, in some ways it was a thankless task leading the line for that side because, um, you know, clearly it, it was it was not exactly a stellar squad. And Rafa Benitez had to kind of organise it and set it up in the most effective way that he could to get results. And, and to his mind, with, you know, his preferred way of playing and the tactics he used, he uses 
that was to be, you know, to do what you'd sometimes be four, even five at the back, soak up the pressure and use the pace. Or, you know, and he did have pace. He was, he, he was good, but always a very willing runner, Barrows. I always kind of felt he was one of those kind of players where you need... I, I was there for his, his debut. His first appearance for Liverpool was in the new camp and the only Champions League group stage draw in 2002. And I remember him going on a big, mad, long kind of diagonal run almost from the, the, the dugouts right into the penalty area. And all of us screaming up at the gods, get your head up, get your head up, because he, he, he was very much a kind of head down and try and burrow his way through Merchant. But he did, he, he had, you know, particularly as we'll get on to show, in, in, in the second leg of this and, and, and the final, some really, you know, a, a, a very strong impact. It was his break into the penalty area that won, well, that should have won the penalty and the red card for Peter Cech, that, but ultimately led to, the ghost goal, which obviously we'll go into in some detail next week, which I'm looking forward to. And but, but to me, arguably his best touch in Liverpool shirt, and one that very, very rarely gets mentioned, is the clever little back heel uh, in the move that led to the equaliser in Istanbul from Jamie Carragher's little ball. He's got his back to goal. He just nudged it into Gerard's path, which he obviously raced onto and was brought down by Reno Catuso. So, you know, if, he's never going to feature in anybody's all-time greatest Liverpool at Evans. But Milan Barros, you know, he, he started this season as, I think he'd been the leading scorer in Euro 2004. And he was, you know, he, he was re- renowned as one of the best young players in Europe at the time. You could argue that he may, maybe never quite went on to fulfil that potential. But he's got himself a European Cup winning medal and there's plenty of better players that would probably give, you know, give the right arm for that. No, certainly. And you sort of took the words out of my mouth in terms of him being the Euro 2004 golden boot winner for a decent and nifty Czech Republic side. But in terms of the game then, Lampard has the chance early on in it. Liverpool don't really have great any great moments. Of no, but as you say, they get the nil-nil draw and know that they've now set it up for a raucous atmosphere back at Anfield in a week's time. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 really, all, the, the big chances of the game came in the first half. The Lampard one, the, the Barros header, Risa early on. But I suppose, I suppose the, only, the, the other significant moments of the match came with only about three or four minutes to go when Xabi Alonso, who'd only just come back into the side, having had his leg broken by Frank Lampard on New Year's Day with a pretty poor challenge from what I can remember. It was, it was quite, quite near to me in the ground that day and I remember being quite, quite cross about it. With literally two or three minutes to go, um, and Chelsea obviously pushing for a goal, uh, he he was judged to have to have fouled Idegger Johnson and brought him down, and the referee gave a yellow card which ruled him out of the second leg. Now at the time that did feel quite you know, quite a significant blow because obviously you know Alonso, even though it was his first season, it was clear he was one of our best players and one of our best passers of the ball. It also felt really you know just quite cruel as well the fact that he'd already missed virtually half the season because of a, a not particularly nice challenge from a Chelsea player. And now a bit of what what we what most Liverpool fans, I think, felt was a bit of gamesmanship on the part of Good Johnson by going down very easy to win the foul had basically ruled out one of our key players for that second leg. Um, so that, you know, that just put in a slight little fly in the ointment as to what otherwise would, you know, you'd be quite jubilant, really coming out of the uh, first leg of a semi-final, nil-nil, knowing that you just got to win a game on your home ground to go through. So that that, that added you know, an, an extra little, an extra bit of spice into it, obviously for the second leg. And obviously there was a lovely bit of poetic irony or justice, really, in the, in the, in the closing stages of that second leg, as we'll get to. It was Mr. Good Johnson that um, 
that was responsible for one of the key moments for it. But um, at, at, by and large, I think everybody was delighted and really, really excited now that we had a, a league game on the Saturday against Middlesbrough and Anfield. And then on Tuesday night, uh, which I think I'm right in saying was also General Election Day, um, we were all going to turn up to Anfield and scream and shout and see if by sheer force of will we could get Liverpool to Istanbul. And uh, 15 years on, I still can't believe it happened, to be honest. No, and we'll get to that just six days later. Of course, Chelsea would go to Anfield. You mentioned Alonso being suspended. Of course, a uh, Jose Mourinho player in Idega Johnson wouldn't have known that Xabi Alonso was treading that tightrope. You can uh, you can bet with the preparation that went in from Mourinho's men. But of course, they would then come to Anfield six days later. Liverpool just one step away from the final in Istanbul. We'll be back to look ahead to that one in six days' time. Until next time, though, here from us on the road to Istanbul and the Blood Red Channel, thanks for your time and your company. But bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.